Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan Pearson. He's Andre Fernandez. How are you, Dre? Doing much better, my friend. And I got to thank you on this podcast, even though it is your beat. And, I'm, you know, we, we have a different different roles than we used to. But thank you for picking it up. Uh, people don't know, but I was I, I had to go on the IL for a few days last week. And Jordan was pressed back into service to have to go to Atlanta. There, and just like the Marlins, did a bang-up job up there. So, once again, thanks, my friend, for picking it up. Hopefully, I can reciprocate and actually go on the road trip later on this season. Yeah, no problem. There's, again, we're 15 games in. We got another, what, 147 left. If my math's correct, there's going to be some oh, yeah. opportunities out there. There's going to be there's gonna be plenty of games to, to cover for sure. And, and hopefully games where they're still in it because, you know, as we saw, this team – Staying afloat again, like we with the <laughs> pun intended or not, you know, they did what they were able to do against a pretty tough slate early on. And, you know, seven and eight is not bad considering, again, it's a fraction of the season. Another 15 games, if things go, don't go too well, really won't mean much. But it's what you need to do if you're this team right now, kind of stay in it. They've had, they have some variables that we're going to discuss on the pod this week about, you know, just how to kind of some ups, some downs. But again, Against the defending world champs who aren't at full strength yet, but still, we almost saw another. We almost saw the big collapse on a Sunday. I've been there. You know, you've been there. I've been there. We've seen plenty of times where that's gone, started to go sideways and ended going sideways. This time, they were able to stop the bleeding and escape with a win. So, overall, just you know, Jordan, like we said before, what do you think overall? This, uh, I mean, this team, again, a few up peaks and valleys so far, but. You know, they were able to 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 persevere and pick up some quality victories. What did you see out in Atlanta? Yeah, definitely. In Atlanta, uh, obviously game one, lose three nothing. Kyle Wright just absolutely dominated them. And then you turn around game two and game three, the offense came to life. They were able to score enough again. That second game on Saturday, nearly four hour game, the back and forth affair. And then Garrett Cooper gets the clutch pinch hit, two run single in the seventh that Gets him up for good. And then game three, like you said, they went up 5 nothing, And we're at the point where it's – or 5-1, sorry. And you're at the point where it's like, okay, could they do this? And then they give up a three – they give up three runs in the, in the ninth with one out. They end up having to go to Lewis Head after Tanner Scott start, sort of botches things in the top of the ninth. And I'm just looking at myself thinking, oh, here we go again. Going for the series win, you're going to get the walk-off's going to happen. Why did I not have my pre-write ready like I always do on the series finale? And then they find a way to pull it out, which, again, is a good sign for this team. Because, again, and something that uh, MLB.com's Christina DiNicola pointed out to me, that series win was just the second time that the Marlins have won a series at Truist Park. They won the first series last year. They hadn't won a series outside of the first series last year and this series so far since mm-hmm. 2017 on the road against Atlanta. So yeah. to be able to do that, even if they aren't at full strength yet, yes, they're seven and 10, but they're still the defending world series champions. They're still a loaded roster, a loaded lineup and just big picture, just going, just taking a full view of the first 15 games. If you told me at the start of the season that, when the Marlins had three games at San Francisco, the defending NLS champions, two games at the Los Angeles Angels, who are a pretty good club themselves, 
four games against Philly, three games against St. Louis, and three games against the Braves, and maybe hovering around 500 after that, I would take I would take that and consider that a win, especially considering yeah. what's coming up next. They've got three games against Washington. They have home a homestand against Seattle and Arizona, and then they're on the road against San Diego and Arizona again. If they can take advantage of those 15 games after hovering and holding water and basically staying afloat through the first 15 through that gauntlet, yeah. it sets them up to be in a good spot through the first 30 games. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is conducive to that, I would say. I mean, I, I hate looking at scheduling too early in the season, but you're right. I mean, this is the kind of team that obviously needs a, a big start in order to stay in it with what's going to come later on and, you know, down the stretch against some of these other teams in the National League. But, you know, you had a – you went back and looked and, and they called it 15 observations for the first 15 and you dove into some stuff. I mean, some of the stuff that stood out to me on just what kind of needs to happen, I think one of the most critical things, like you pointed out, um, if you haven't checked that out yet, by the time you're listening to this, it's up on MiamiHerald.com. But um, I think the runners in scoring position, I think you nailed that too. I mean, that's – I feel like every season we're always saying that about the Marlins lineup. And I think this year – I think this year you see there's a little more of the potential for that to be less of a problem. And you saw it in spots this weekend against the Braves, you know, but still, I mean, they, they, they have the ninth most, as you pointed out, the ninth most plate appearances in the majors in such situations with 161, but they entered Monday hitting just 209. I mean, eighth worst mark in the league. That's not a good sign. So that has to improve at least somewhat. I'm not saying maybe they're going to be, best at doing that but it can't be that bad if they really hope to contend and a part of it goes to another point you made about the big hitters in that lineup the big bats whether it's Jorge Soler, Jesus Aguilar, Avisayo Garcia, Garrett Cooper those guys the core of that lineup we're going to get into jazz and why you called it the right move I call it the needed move like it needed to be made move them up to the top and you saw it's paying off a little bit already but beyond that the core power hitters need to hit need to start being a little more consistent especially in those in those run scoring spots yeah and to specifically dive into those guys with runners in scoring position Avisao Garcia is batting 143 he's two for 14 with three strikeouts both of those hits if I remember correctly came in that brave series in those last two games yeah. Garrett Cooper three for nine all three of those hits coming in the last two games against the Braves Jesus Aguilar, one for seven, 143 batting average. Jorge Soler, two for 12 with four strikeouts. Again, all of those guys, uh, Cooper obviously is at 333, but it's because it's three for nine. But the other three guys are all sub 170 with runners in scoring position. You yeah. need those guys to find ways to step up. They need to be able to start taking that step that the Marlins were hoping for them to take and for them to be those guys in the lineup to – Make sure the offense isn't falling flat like it did so many times last year and the year before that and the year before that. And I guess I could say the year before that as well. I think that gets us to the start of the rebuild. I think that's four. Yeah, that's four. That gets us right right to the beginning yeah. of where everything started. Yeah. Uh, and unless, you wanna, unless you want to pick on when they still had Yelich and Stanton and Ozuna and maybe those guys underachieved the tad here and there in 2017. But, but yeah, yeah that's pretty much that. where yeah. that far. far. Yeah, they were, it was better back then. Yeah, and to go with go to the Jazz note, uh, as we've discussed throughout the beginning of this, the Marlins went power heavy at the top to start the season. Jorge Soler was the leadoff guy for 11 of the first 12 games. Jesus Sanchez was the guy in the leadoff spot, the one game Soler had off this season. And 
of four games ago. So Friday, the last game of the homestand against the Cardinals, they finally decided to switch it up. They put Jazz in the leadoff spot. Marlins are three and one in that span. That doesn't necessarily mean that's just because of Jazz being in the leadoff spot, but he does bring a different dynamic to the leadoff spot. He does. Yeah. He still gives you the power that Soler can give you, but mm-hmm. you also have the speed. You have that threat when even if he just gets on the first base, there's a good chance you're going to see him on second within the first two or three pitches, whether it's because of somebody moving him over or him just wiping the bag himself. Mm-hmm. And when you look at his stats overall throughout the season, he's leading the Marlins in just about every major statistic out there. Uh, 1067 OPS, 727 slugging. Four home runs, 15 RBI, four stolen bases, nine runs scored, uh, four, seven, nine total extra base hits out of his 13 total hits. He is that guy who, when he's out there and when his bat is hot, he's going to be able to carry a team. But it's also worth noting all four of those games where he was in the leadoff spot were against right-handed pit were against right-handed pitchers. The Marlins have only faced three lefty starters so far. Jazz started one of those three games. Jazz overall has only faced, only had seven total plate appearances against left-handed pitching. Madden, Marlins manager Don Mattingly has mentioned time and time again that they're going to play matchups at times. They're going to do some pinch hitting. You saw them do it with Joey Wendell and Brian Anderson back and forth a couple times. Jazz has been pinch hit for twice against lefty relievers. Uh, and a couple of those I understood. I understood the move they did when Tyler Matzik came in. I believe that was the Friday game. And it just, you see a guy whose career, I believe he was a sub 650 OPS career against lefty hitters and jazz has struggled career wise against lefties. So if you have the tough matchup and you have a good righty and you think the situation works, yes, I'm, I'm good with it, but I don't think it's going to happen every single time. And it can't happen every single time. You're going to need the fun. You're going to need to give jazz the opportunities to show what he can do, but there are, there are some situations where you're going to see him get pinch hit for, and it's not just him. If you look around the league, Jock Peterson is an example in the Giants, a guy with a track record. He's only had 4% of his at-bats been against lefties so far this year. You see got, you see the Angels. They've been pinch hitting Joe Adele in, righty, in matchups when there's a tough righty on the mound. There are yeah. examples where it's not just Jazz, but because he is the one guy that a lot of Marlins fans are focusing on, at least in our circle, it does get amplified down here. It's an example that gets seen that an example of a situation that is happening around the league as well. Yeah. Well, you, look, and I'll, I'll be the, you know, and you know me that I'm not, I'm the first one that's throwing water on the overexcitement about a lot of things with this team, but to everything you said, I, I, yes, I know he's not the only one. I know there's other examples. I guess it's just them walking a fine line, which I hope they're able to the right way where you have a guy who has he, he has little more potential maybe even than, than – I'm not saying everybody you mentioned, but some of the people you mentioned, I think. And I hope that in certain situations, I guess you walk that line between protecting him and looking for the better matchup, but also at some point giving him the chance to – to come through in that spot because he's going to be better qualified, I think, than a lot of the guys you have, including who you may be substituting him for in some in some situations to maybe come through and be that guy. I mean, it was interesting on the flip side of that, how Snitker was like, he's going to face whoever it is, even if it was whether Jazz had stayed, 
you know what I mean? Like, I, I guess, I guess what I mean is I, I understand playing the matchups. I understand playing the lefty righty thing, but at, you don't, at some point in his career, you also want him to be able to maybe improve some of those splits. So it's not so drastic. So he doesn't become a player that has to be replaced all the time like that. And maybe that's one, maybe that's one of those things that just, it'll occur with time. Like you said, maybe it won't be all the time that we're seeing it. I think it just definitely does get amplified when you're talking about a, it's happening in a critical moment. That, that one the other day with Matzik was in a critical moment and left people going, granted, a lot of it could, some of it is overreaction because he has, he's the cool name, he's whatever. But I think he is the best, one of the best bats, if not the best bat they have, albeit still inexperienced by comparison to a lot of guys in the lineup. So I think over time, It'd be nice to see him get that chance despite the matchup if in certain situations, maybe not when it's someone with as proven a track record as knocking out a righty bat like you were talking about, like in Matt Six case, maybe. So it's it's a fine balance that they're gonna have to walk over the next over the rest of this season, I guess, as again, we're forgetting that. I mean, not not us, but like sometimes people I think forget too. They're ready to put Jazz in this bona fide superstar category. And I think he has the potential to be a standout in the league, but he is developing. This is still a young player too. So there's a, there's that balance that they have to kind of, you know, walk the rest of the year. And, and it'll, it'll be interesting to see it to me, that whole, that whole thing. And I, I know I've, I've texted you, you're, you're covering the game and I'm home watching it. And I'm telling you like, this is interesting. You know, let's keep an eye on this. Cause this is, this is either an issue or just at least something to monitor this whole thing. At least one, at least one thing we've seen already. And, fair to see if it happens again is the whole leadoff thing let's see if maybe that continues you know when they do face a lefty starter i don't know if they have one i haven't looked yet if they have one coming up now in washington or or soon but it would be interesting to see if that's stays the case because again not only the victories but you see it you see he's his results have gone up too i mean he had i think he had the the leadoff homer on the first pitch the other day as well that was good to see on on his part and he does it's a combo of the power and the ability to get on base and the speed, all of that, that he brings that the other guys don't at the top of that lineup. So at the very least on that side of it, I hope they do stick with it. Yeah. So the national series, which starts on Tuesday, uh, Josiah Gray on Tuesday, Eric Fetty on Wednesday, and the always interesting to be announced on Thursday. <laughs> so at the very least it's righties on Tuesday and Wednesday. So we assume jazz will okay. stay in the layoff spot there. Thursday is a to-be-determined situation. We'll see how right. that unfolds. But also, but whatever just, it happens. Yeah, exactly. But also, yeah. just to go back to it, it's only been – they've only had like seven or eight situations where he's been able to face lefties. The two starters that he didn't face and the one starter that he did face. Yeah. And then there's only been when going through his at-bats, they pinch hit for him twice, but he also did face lefties, I believe it's three times, in, relief, in situations where it was a reliever coming yeah. in. And the two hits that he has off lefty so far were in the same game, their blowout win against Philly, where the last one was him hitting. He got or it's two RBI. He has one hit against he's one for six with a double and a sack fly. The double and the sack fly both came in the same game. And so he did have a game where he got multiple appearances against lefty relievers. So right. there are, have been situations, just small sample size of what we've seen so far, yeah. because yeah. If it's not facing yeah, it's a starter, only so many times, you're, there's only so many chances and the probability of the lefty coming in when it's his time for to bad and, and just all the calculations have to go into it. So, uh, no, no, yeah. Another thing, too, is I, I, I guess it's it's not just Jazz. It's also who are you replacing him with in that spot? 
you want to feel comfortable with someone proven that can come through in that spot too. And then that's again, part of it where, you know, for some people look at it and they got frustrated, but yeah, let's hope that they, that they, they weigh that part of the equation as well the right way. No doubt about it. Yeah. And there's, again, there's going to be a lot more time to do it again. Like you said, yeah. we have what, 147 games left. Yeah. I mean, one, one switching off from Jazz a second. The other guy I did one before, I don't know if we were going to wrap this up there, this part of it, but Joey Wendell, like we talked about in the preseason, we were hoping for him to be the impact guy. And, you know, seeing some of the numbers that he's had so far, glad to see it. You know what I mean? Like we knew it was going to be the versatility in the field, but leading hitter as far as batting average right now on the team, you know, five doubles. He's reached safely in 10 of the 11 games. It's not just the versatility. It's good to see that he is making the impact with the bat. I mean, we talked about in the preseason. What do you, you know, Joey Wendell coming through? I mean, we knew he was going to be one of the most impactful guys this year out of the new guys. Yeah, and it's not just the average and all that. The numbers that stick out to me, and this was in the story that I wrote, he's only struck out four times in 48 plate appearances, 8.3%. Yes. He's yep. making contact just about 90% of the time when he swings. Yep. He's not He's not – a swing in this guy. He's been making contact, even if the ball is just getting fouled off. He's not wasting swings. And that's pivotal for this team, especially early on in the season when those big bats, those big righties weren't showing up. He was a guy who had got who got some of those clutch hits and is able to step up. And again, the bat is good. The defense, him being able to play both third base, he played shortstop the last two games against the Braves while Miguel Rojas was dealing with flu-like symptoms. Again, yep. between him being able to move there, Brian Anderson moving around the field, John Birdie being able to play some third base, which, again, John Birdie, 600, or 545 on base percentage right now. Yeah. It's, again, when you see these guys who, when they understand their role and are able to execute their role, and that's the big thing with this Marlins team, it's not necessarily needing that one standout guy to carry everything. It's as we've discussed many times specifically with Wendell, but trying to extrapolate to everybody that it's, if everybody understands what they need to do on each given day and figure out what they need to do on that day-to-day -day basis and execute it well, it puts the Marlins in a good spot for that day. And as it, as it extends throughout the entire season. Yeah, no, it definitely does. I mean, that's, that was the whole thing. It was like, I keep thinking of do your job in the NFL with uh, with Belichick and other teams like that. I mean, th those are the ones that have success. I mean, you see it the same way in this sport. I mean, again, I think that that was the MO of this team. He he himself talked about it in the spring. Wendell did about the buy-in that it took for a team like Tampa to pull it off all those, for all these years. And again, this is it. This team is building to building toward becoming something like that at some point, hoping to. So at least the foundation, as far as that's concerned, looks like it's looks like it's there. And and yeah, so I mean, again, it would be great. We, we like you said, he's filled in in spots on the on the field, but it's definitely good to see the bat. And you need contact, good contact hitters in this lineup to keep it going and to get it to those power bats that we we're talking about earlier to see if they can come through. Yeah, and just one extra tidbit on Joey Wendell that popped up this weekend. Uh, Friday, they Marlins got to the point where. They were about to, in the bottom of the ninth, after they already basically were out of their bench guys, if they got to the point where Joey Wendell could have pinch hit for Peyton Henry, and who was already their second catcher being used, mm -hmm. Joey Wendell, and they end up tying the game, which obviously they didn't, Joey Wendell would have been the Marlins catcher. 
for the ninth inning. So the Marlins now have we now have that answer of the mysterious. If you ever have the emergency third catcher for the Marlins, it's Joey Wendell. There you go. So just to do everything, put on that hat too. <laughs> put on literally, put on the mask and, and let's go. Put the protector on and the, all hands on deck if you have to. Yeah. Yep. So on that note, we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll take a little look at what's ahead and do our usual minor league recap. So we will be right back. All right, we're back, everyone. So Marlins are seven and eight heading into the final portion of this second road trip of the season. Going to have three games against the Washington Nationals on Tuesday through Thursday. And going to have some good pitching, at least on the Marlins side. You've got the top of the rotation back up, Sandy Alcantara Tuesday, Pablo Lopez Wednesday, Jesus Lu or Trevor Rogers on Thursday. I apologize for mixing up the two lefties in the rotation there. There you go. Uh, but I will say Jesus Lazardo did look pretty good out there in Atlanta outside of getting himself to that jam in the fifth inning, load the bases with three walks, and only gave up the one run. The big strikeout to Austin Riley to end it. But top of that rotation, and specifically Mr. Pablo Lopez, 0 mm -hmm. 0.52 ERA over his first three starts, the third best in Marlins history through three starts. Yeah, it pretty sick. And has a chance to – get into even better lore if he can have another strong performance against Washington this weekend. Yeah. Great to see for him. I mean, you know, we always worry a little bit about the durability with him, but I mean, not the, not the, not the sharpness on the mound. I mean, great to see for Pablo. Very impressive too. I mean, to rank in the top 10 and hits allowed per inning walks. I mean, he is low. He is locating right now. Everything is, everything is finding spots for him right now. And with all of his pitches, and and that's the you know that's huge. That's huge because that solidifies kind of that middle of the rotation, mid, like upper to middle part of the rotation there behind Sandy, you know, tremendously. And then if you know if that if Trevor can come around and 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 gain some consistency there, but like you said, Lazardo, it's kind of interesting because he you thought, uh oh, is he slipping back to what he looked like last year? But then he bounces back and he has another great start. And again, that's key on the back end. I mean, again, it's only a few starts, but it's a it's a good it's, it's a good opening to the season to see Lozardo pitching that way, especially because again, that kind of on the bottom end too. And and again, the the overall I think as a rotation to have a top ten, you know, lower part of the top ten overall rotation right now. That's not what everybody was going to be like. Really? No, everybody kind of figured this is an upper half rotation at worst. But the bullpen, that's the part that is scary right now. And we expected it to probably be a little scary, especially until Floro gets back. But even when he does, it's like he has to be, you know, he has to be a consistent one in the closer role too, assuming that's where he goes and, and solidifies that a little bit, you'd hope. But if not, that's still the glaring spot on this team where you hope they can make it work and – I still think if they're in it and they're, and they're buyers more than sellers later on, it still needs to be addressed come come summertime. No, definitely that will be again. Like I said, if they're in the playoff in the playoff hunt, that's their priority. Once by the time July rolls around, it has to be. And yep. especially when you look at where they're at right now, again, Dylan Floro still on the IL. He did a rehab assign. He did a rehab start on Saturday through twenty three pitches, I believe. I, I'm assuming they were capping the twenty five there. Uh, and 
the guy who's supposed to be his heir and his replacement until then, Anthony Bender, it's been very up and down with him. It was gives up the lead, gives up the go ahead or the game tying home run in San Fran. The first game gets a save, get bounces back, bounces fourth, and then after and his Chicago, yeah, he's apparently been dealing with hip soreness, which is why he hasn't been in since Wednesday. And yep. the Marlins have had to basically mix and match even more than they probably hoped to mix and match. They yep. went with Tanner Scott on Friday, who did a good job, shut everything down the ninth inning on Saturday, I mean, uh, to even the series. And then Sunday, he comes in with a four-run lead, and boom, boom, boom. Next thing you know, 5-4. And because the Marlins had already used Anthony Bass earlier in the game, and Anthony Bass had already gotten them out of a jam, he came in the seventh inning, bases low, one out, rolled to double play, and then gets a big eighth inning. And Cole Solskjaer being used back-to-back days Friday and Saturday, and them not being at the point where they don't want to have guys go out three straight days if they don't have to yet, just because of how early it is in the season and the limited work they got in spring. Mattingly was down to Lewis Head, Stephen Okert, and Daniel Castano for a righty, a righty-heavy portion of the Braves lineup, which meant Lewis Head – the guy who they got from Tampa Bay Rays and has been middle relief and low leverage roles had to had to come in there and face and face Marcelo Zuna, Adam Duvall, and Eddie Rosario. Ozuna gets the double, and at that point you're like, okay, game tying runs on there. Duvall's up, game's over. He strikes out Duvall. He strikes out Rosario. I don't expect Lewis had to do stuff like that in the ninth inning often. It was impressive to see him do it, but it's also a how are they in this situation? It's gets to the point where you hope that they're not in that situation often where they're going to a guy who they don't necessarily view as a high leverage guy and end up potentially needing to rely on them in those situations more often than not. Yeah, no, no, let's let's have less of that because especially I mean, Atlanta's been a house of nightmares for them, as we talked about before, but they're going to have other teams. There's going to be other teams, other spots like that, even at home against some tough opponents coming up that no, you cannot be in that spot where you're, you're, you're crossing your fingers for, for it to all go well like that. I mean, you talked about the schedule coming up. I mean, yeah, the Nats is, uh, and then Arizona, but an intriguing one. Also the following series after that, the suddenly hot Seattle Mariners that have won eight out of 10, you know, that's another team. I mean, right now that's one of the better lineups. I think, in baseball, I think they're ranked fifth in, op- in team OPS right now. So they are. That's another. That's going to be another challenge for this team. I mean, that's a balanced squad. I mean, two ninety six team ERA as well. I'm looking here, the Mariners can do a little bit of everything right now. So that's it's three games, and yeah, like again, I, I hate singling out one single you know series here when it's so early. But there's going to be series like that, not just Seattle, but others where they're going to get tested again, and they better. They better be able to answer the call. And then and durability is another problem because if Bender's banged up, you know, you're already trying to get Floro back and you never know when someone else could go down. That's why this this has to be addressed regardless of what happens the next two months, if they're gonna have any kind of a chance. Especially if they're I mean if they're in. If they fall out, then that's another story. But if to have a chance, this has to be addressed. So but like you uh, like you were talked about before, we promised a little talk about the a lot of talk about the big league team as as they're they're in the mix right now, but your weekly dive into the minors, 
against a guy about one of the Marlins prospect pitchers facing a guy who will be in the majors soon, a nemesis of the Marlins for a long time. How'd that Meyer Acuna battle go, Mr. McPherson? I would say round one and round two both went to Max Meyer. Uh, so for those who hadn't didn't check everything out, Ronald Acuna Jr., as everyone knows, Braves got Braves outfielder, young star, guy who Braves fans always say Marlins are just trying to hit him, and the Marlins have hit him a good amount. But we'll leave the which side, which side good, which side dry on that for later on. But Acuna's rehab started his rehab assignment last week, fittingly enough, against his first opponents were the Marlins AAA affiliate Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. Max Meyer started the Tuesday games and the Sunday game of that series. Game the first matchup, Meyer went. Meyer held Acuna to one for three, a fly out the center field, a hard hit double to right center, and a ground out the third. Second time around, strikeout on three pitches, full count walk, and a seven pitch strikeout. So overall, Acuna went one for five with a walk and two strikeouts against one of the Marlins' top pitching prospects. Or to put it the other way, Max Myers held Acuna off base two thirds of the time, which. I think is a pretty good assessment of where Max Meyer is right now. Yes, it's Acuna's first games back, but that's got to be a confidence boost for a guy like Max, who's already a very confident guy to be able to say, yeah, first time I faced Acuna, I was able to do this. That's absolutely. I mean, that's you're, you're, it's a rare chance to, to face. You're facing some major leaguers in a spot where Max is at right now here and there. But an all-star of a quality like his, I mean, that's that's great. Especially when he's really, you know, he's rehabbing, so he's taking it, you know, little by little as he progresses to come back and whatnot. But he wants to get to that regular season game shape so he can hit the ground running for Atlanta. So this is a great spot for him to have those matchups to have, and, you know, and we've seen the, you know, obviously the long story that's happened sometimes of how to pitch Acuna and, and things have happened. So... Good test for a guy like him. I mean, we're talking about another guy who's high velo. You know, maybe a ball's going to ride in. That all, all of that experience is good. So again, that's something that's going to help. I think Max Meyer a lot in a de- in his development. And you never know if Max gets the call at some point down the road. You know, maybe even later this season or something, and then faces him when the stage is definitely going to be a lot more important. Potentially even down the stretch, if the Marlins are still in it, come you know the last month or two of the season, let's say. That'd be that'd be that'd be great to draw back on for him, saying, "Okay, it's not completely brand new for me. I have faced this guy at least in some settings. So I have a little bit, at least, of an idea of what to expect." Yeah, not just like a some setting where people could say, like a lot of the youngsters, you're like, "Yeah, I saw him in spring training." When it's like, no, yeah. it was an actual live game setting where the wins, exactly. the stats actually mean something, yeah. not just the "Oh, I'm getting ready, I'm getting my timing back, this, that, the other, yada, yada, yada." Yeah. And he kind of is because he is rehabbing, but that is, that's it's, fair, it's but a also, little right. It's a little closer to reality, let's say, than spring when you're kind of just you know starting out and everything that sort of thing. Yeah, no doubt about it. And a couple other guys I just kind of want to quickly touch on for the minor leaguers before we wrap this up. Harar uh, Encarnacion. I've talked about him many times, and I've been I've been really impressed with him, even going back to 2019 when he had his breakout year to see what he's doing right now after his 2020 season got banged because of COVID his 2021 season got chopped up with a knee injury right now. He's 
He's hitting 367, 441 OBP, 667 slugging, 1108 on base plus slugging mark through his first 15 games. Had an 11-game hit streak that got snapped on Sunday, but he's a guy. He's showing his power. He's got five, he had five home runs over a 10-day span. Uh, only has I think nine. Only had nine strikeouts during his recent 11-game hitting streak after getting off to I think it was eight Ks through the first two games. So starting to see the ball right, and he also he stole three bases, which for a guy like him, that's not something that's typically part of his game. But he's able to start using stuff on the on the base pass as well. Between the power, the ability to both play the corner outfields and play first base, I know I've talked about him a lot, but just seeing the strides that he's had and the fact that through the first three weeks of the minor league season, he's looked like the Marlins' most complete hitter so far down in the minors. It's been impressive to see. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I've been a big fan of his for – I was a big fan, but I, it's a guy that you sort of hope that does well. You know, you saw I, – I remember seeing him, you know, we're talking about a few years ago when he was still at single A ball and still very raw – you know, the power has always been there, but it was more of the refine your swing a little bit, you know, just, you know, not leave yourself open too much to the high strikeouts, that sort of thing. So he's worked on that a lot. So it's good to see. It's good to see whenever one of those guys, especially he's been a little bit, he was under the radar, had the big moment in Arizona, you know, did all that and, you know, got a little notoriety there, but then has had his challenges, like you mentioned since then so it's good i mean he's, he's one of those guys that again could be you don't see a lot of them i i, I know it's not like i'm beating that to death but i just try to tell people how sometimes even the top top picks don't even get to the majors every once in a while you have these guys that maybe aren't the biggest biggest signees that will find their way up you know it, it'd be cool to see that it'd be cool to see that for him if he's one of those guys that because of the work he's put in and those ability, that raw power that he has. And the versatility can only help. I mean, that I, that's another one for case after case over the last few years. I've talked about the more positions you can play and the more valuable you can make yourself to a major league baseball team these days where they want to move guys around and have guys here and there all over from infield to outfield, the better. So credit to him for being able to, to get out of his comfort zone and kind of learn that new spot and it seems to be working for him. Let's see. We'll see if he he's able to pull it off at a higher level down the road. Yeah. And then one other thing with him that has him on a potential inside track for later on down the road, he's already on the 40 man. Because again, yeah. he had protected back after after 2019 for the rule five draft. Right. So, they didn't want to lose him. Yeah. Exactly. So he already, it's not like they have to find that roster that space on the 40 man to get him in there like they may have to for a couple of their other guys up at triple A, the J.J. Bleday's, Peyton Burdick's, et cetera, et cetera. He yeah. already has that. And when you're in double-A and you're in the upper minors, it there's basically doesn't necessarily mean he has to get to triple-A before he gets up here. If right. they see the need and they know he's available, they could easily just swing down, grab him, and give him that shot. Right. If he's seeing the ball well, if, you know, if the technique's there, if the, you know, the strikeout rates, everything, all the little things go beyond like the, the basic – you know, stats and whatnot. Like if the, if, if their developmental guys can kind of tell that his game is playing toward that, you know, that, that type of pitcher that he'll see at the major league level, they can give him a shot, at least give him a shot, at least get to bring him. you know, it doesn't mean maybe comes in and immediately sticks, but at least he can get that chance. And then we'll see then if it, if it, Hey, if it, if it does, 
I mean, we're talking, we're not talking about a young, a super, super young guy either. Once he would get there, we're talking, we're not talking about a 20 year old. He's a little more advanced age wise. So it would be good for him at this point. I think the maturity physically too would help him. Yeah, definitely. And to just wrap rapid fire with a few guys, uh, rehab injury with some of the top pitching prospects. Sixto Sanchez should be entering the last week of his no throwing period this week, which means hopefully by the time we podcast next week, we'll have an update on what his next steps are going to be. Edward Cabrera, who was dealing with uh, right bicep muscle fatigue, he threw in an extended spring game, I believe it was on Thursday, which should line him up for either Tuesday or Wednesday to get another game going out there. And then since I brought up the two outfielders, I might as well just give you guys an update on how they're doing. Uh, Peyton Burdick, 895 OPS, 240 batting average, uh, three home runs, six ribbies, 18 strikeouts against 13 walks over about 70 plate appearances. And J.J. Bleday, just like last year, early season struggles, 164 batting average, 558 OPS. Uh, he is nine for 55 with five ribbies, one home run. Mm. Yeah, you hate to say that. But, I mean, again, it is early, but I'm here, you know, if <laughs> people saw me, Jordan's looking at me, unfortunately shaking my head going – yeah, I just watched the series where uh, between the Yankees and the Tigers, as everyone else did, mm-hmm. uh, anticipating Cabrera, but also taking note of how, how Spencer Torkelson is starting for the Tigers, and then you you look at C.J. Abrams and others, and you feel you feel for for J.J. You hope he can get it going because you know these are some of the guys that were in that same year, that same draft class, or even the draft class after, and have already have already passed them. So you hope, you hope you can find a way, find a way, but we'll see. Yeah. And to wrap this up, because you brought it up and I meant to bring it up at some point earlier, congratulations to Miguel Cabrera. 3,000 hits. Oh, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> like, well, we buried it. I mean, geez, yeah. the, the national global story. And, you know, and then we'll get to, we'll get to that Venezuelan reporter that got, that got, uh, that got interviewed up there by Valleys. You know, you know who oh, you yeah, are. Yeah, that guy, yeah, that guy being our good friend Danny Alvarez, who just done a fantastic. He works for Electrobase, a Spanish media website that focuses heavily on the Venezuela Venezuelans in baseball, and he's just done an absolutely phenomenal job with covering the covering the run to three thousand. I actually don't know if he wants to be saying this, but the day that that Miggy got three hits and was one away. Both he and I simultaneously were like, okay, he can stop. He can stop. He can wait a day. Me doing that because I was working on my story on the reaction internally from the Marlins with their Venezuelan players and others inside the organization who saw Miguel Cabrera early and just their thought as he got closer to 3,000. Danny, because he was on his way to Detroit and his flight getting there got delayed. So he wasn't even there for the three-hit game. And he was like, this needs to wait one more day so he could actually be there in person to see it happen. And luckily well, for him, he got the one he was one hit away at, at that point, didn't get the hit the next day, and then or didn't get didn't get the hit with didn't well, hit the rain yeah. out and the double header. What happened was Danny's message got got delayed in the mail and it got to Aaron Boone, you know, a little bit late. So then Danny's in the stadium. Aaron Boone follows orders does what he needs to do to make sure Mickey doesn't get it that day. And then, oops, wait, nope, Danny was already there. Yep. 
No, but in all seriousness, though, we're props. We're happy for you, Danny, because you know it's a it's an amazing. It's a, it's, it was a great baseball moment to, to unpack that part. But for Venezuela, I can only imagine the source of pride that it is right now. And, and for Danny, too, because, I mean, that's the cool part for him. I mean, I'm, I'm, I want his baseball life because he he's met these guys as a kid. You know, he's built the relationships with him, with them, with several of them, not just Miggy. But, I mean, think about that. I mean, a legend like him and you – you knew it when you were a kid. You met him when you were a kid, and you know you come up and you saw some of those stuff that he shared afterward with him and his mom and all that. Like that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool that he, that he decides what we do. That that he's that he's built that over the years, and and no, and he does a great job covering not just him but a lot of a lot of overall. And and I love what he said too about what it means to the country with some of the stuff. You know, like, like I always have that. You know, being being a someone who, you know, of Cuban descent, like I always have that. I I I understand kind of what you know the difficulty that, that Venezuela you know has gone through in recent years. So what he said that this was a source of pride for them to kind of rally the country and to kind of give them something to feel good about with everything they've gone through. I'm glad he mentioned that. I'm glad he mentioned that on on the airwaves the other day when they were interviewing him in Detroit. So, but. You know, we mess with him. We we love him and all that. And it's funny, but at the same time, he does seriously. He does do a great job covering those the, those players and 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 taking you past baseball, not just baseball, but he, he you know he shares a lot of that beyond the field type stuff too. So so I'm glad he got to do it. And from a baseball sense, we are definitely. And we were talking about this how we appreciate it because who the heck knows when the next three thousand guy is going to be? No one. There's a few guys that either either the guys that are somewhat not that far away now are at the end of their careers and they're too far to possibly get to it. Or you're talking guys that maybe are just starting now. Like it could be a Juan Soto. It could be a Vlad jr. But that's years and years away before they get there. Maybe trout, if he picks up the pace, maybe Manny Machado, if he were to really pick up the pace, but again, we may not see this for at least a decade or more ever again. And uh, again, the only other person close, or in terms of like the current group, Altuve maybe also might right in there. But he's still it's still a ways to really away. pick up the pace, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and stay healthy, all those things, especially in your thirties. Exactly, where injuries can mount a little bit. I mean, there's a lot of factors going against it. So it, we were, I was sitting there with my wife watching the moment when it happened, thinking, "Let's take this in as baseball fans because this might we we it may be a bit before we see it again." Yeah, no, and the thing for us in person, again, between this, got we got to cover in 16 with Ichiro, gained actually experience as much of it in a short span in terms of our reporting side of it, too. It's We get two yeah. within a span of about six years, and then who the heck knows when we're going to get the next one. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Yeah, who do you think it'll be? I mean, I, I know who I, I threw... I, threw I, I think it's either maybe Trout or unless... It could be a uh, maybe Soto. I, I like actually Soto potentially. No, I down definitely the road. Soto. I think is going to get it, unless a Trout or an Altuve gets it. Get stays long enough to the point where they can get it. I mean, Altuve mm. is just about twelve hundred. He's twelve hundred hits away. He's at seventeen eighty three heading and entering entering this week. And he's and thirty three now. Thirty two or thirty three. He's thirty one. Oh, he's 31. Okay. Yeah, he turns, but, well, he, he yeah. turns 32 in about two weeks. Okay. So, yeah, he'll be, yeah. this is age 32 season. But oh, the one okay. interesting That's fact that it would be is if Altuve is the next one, 
the most recent two, if he does do it, are both from Mara Venezuela. That there you would go. Be- That's a little nugget. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, but I definitely think Juan Soto is probably the next closest thing to a guarantee. And again, there's no such thing as a guarantee, but he would be right. probably the closest thing to it. Yeah. Out of the current crop of, of baseball players that we have right now. Yeah. I mean, I looked at Vlad Jr. He's not on pace right now. And and he's, you know, I see him more like the power numbers, I think. Yeah. He's a guy that will finish with a very obviously very high home run total for his career if he if he has a long career. But you're right. I think Soto, with the way he can consistently make contact, and, and he's still so young, definitely a guy that he, he could stay durable. He's definitely someone that, that you may see. But, again, that'll be 15 years from now maybe. Yeah. You know, I mean, Soto's at 500 through as of as of right now. Again, heading into the series with the Marlins. Yeah. But again, he's 23. And one thing I'm also going to try to ponder that shortened 2020 season where guys lost two thirds of a season. Oh, yeah. How much is <laughs> could that potentially like you look down toward the end of Soto's career and he's at like 29, 64? Mm-hmm. Like what? I saw that too. And I, I thought that's going to be such a screw job. Unfortunately, just you know, life circumstances yeah. because of the pandemic. That you look at it, that's you're gonna say, God, how, how unfortunate if they had had not, you know, not that everybody plays 162 nowadays, but let's say you you sliced out maybe 85 to 90 of those games that you could have had back in a normal season, let's say. And and, and that's the thing. That's the games changed. Nobody plays, hardly anyone plays even 150, 155 games a year. It's very few that do that anymore. And that that's part of why this is gonna be, and that, that plus the way strikeouts are so elevated right now in the game, all those factors are going to just be detractors toward seeing this again anytime soon. Which is another reason why I think Soto has that chance is because of the fact that of his high contact rate, his low right. swinging miss rate, the fact yep. that he's averaging more than a hit a game in his career already at this point, 500 hits in 482 games. And the seasons around that 60-game season, 150 games in 2019, 151 in 2021. And yep. he only and he missed 13 games in that shortened season, but most of it was at the beginning when he had the positive test that may have been a false positive. However, I don't rem- remember the specifics on that. But yeah. he almost played the entire. He would have probably you, played the entire season of that if that that situation didn't arise as well. You almost have to play about maybe a decade without where where you're playing at least somewhere in the maybe around. 140 games a year, 130 something games a year. And think about the durability that that requires. Yeah. To even do that five, six years in a row nowadays. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, maybe if you have like one off year or something happens, you get hurt, whatever. But, but the second you, you, if you ever fall into that trap where you have two, three injury plagued seasons or something, it just derails it. Like all that, it just so much has to click your way. And that's what I mean. Like it's so. It's going to be a while, and we hope we can see it again, but that's why you cherish a moment like Miggy the other day because it's going to be a bit, like I said. No doubt about it. And on that note, that's going to wrap us up for this week. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of Fish Bites. I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez. Thanks so much, everyone. <laughs>